Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Let me ask you a question real quick. What does it feel like having one of the greatest pastors in America leading your church? Because I'm telling you right now, if, if you take them for granted and you don't appreciate them, there's a church in California that would love to fire me and put him in. Because <laughs> he really is one of the heroes of my life and one of my dearest friends for years and years and years and walked me through some of the hardest times in my life. Well, I get the privilege of talking about demonology. So if this is your first time at Radius, Welcome. Honestly, as I begin, I've got a story that I woke up this morning so excited to share with you today, because you're going to love this story. Like, I'm telling you right now, you're going to love this story. It's going to be powerful. Uh, We're going to open today with this story, and it's one of the best stories that I know to tell. But before I tell the story, even knowing that you're going to love this story, knowing that this story is really, really, really good, I need to know whether or not you want to hear the story. Because if you won't want to hear the story, we'll just move on and do something else. Now, you want to hear the story? Okay. Now, I have no idea if this story is true or not. The person that told me the story told me it was true, and I'm just going to accept the fact that it is true. But whether it's true or not, don't let that hold you back from enjoying this incredible story. So years and years ago, there was a farmer in South Africa that I heard about on one of my trips to South Africa. And for whatever reason, this farmer decided to breed and raise poodle dogs on his farm. Now, I don't know if you're a dog lover or not. I love dogs. Dogs are great. Dogs are wonderful. But I'm not a big fan of poodle dogs. Like, if you're going to give me a dog, I want a dog that can fight. I want a dog that can protect the family. I want a dog that just looks mean, tough, Doberman, German Shepherd, Pitbull. Doesn't matter. I want a tough dog. I don't want no poodle dog running around my house. Now, if you're a poodle dog lover, please forgive me. Pastor Ken will be back next week. For whatever reason, this farmer raised these poodle dogs. In one year, there was a tribe of lions traveling across the land, and a baby lion got lost and separated from his family, and he wound up on the farmer's land. Well, the farmer didn't know what to do with his baby lion, so he decided to raise the baby lion with the poodle dogs. So this baby lion grew up with the poodle dogs. He lived with the poodle dogs. He ate with the poodle dogs. But something happened. After years go by, the baby lion is no longer a baby lion. But the baby lion grows up. And now he is a full-grown, powerful, dynamic, adult lion. But he's got this little bitty problem. He still has the brain of a poodle dog. See, when the farmer used to yell at the poodle dogs when they were misbehaving and they would cower in the fear, the baby lion learned to cower in fear. When the farmer would roll up the newspaper to smack one of them and and they they were scared, the baby lion learned to be scared. When the pit bull on the farm next door began to chase them at the fence line and little poodle dogs would run for their life, the baby lion learned to run for his life. 
You see, he didn't realize one roar from his lungs would send the farmer running for his life. That every time the pit bull next door began to bark, he could eat the pit bull if he wanted to. He had all of the power, all of the characteristics, all the features, all the dynamic, all the ability of this mighty, roaring, powerful, lion, dynamic. He just had the brain of a poodle dog. And unfortunately, that is the way Satan has raised most Christians in the church today. Most of us don't realize who we are. The power. That's why I love Paul in Ephesians. Earlier on in the letter, I think it was chapter 3, he says, I pray that they would realize the power that is already inside of them. That we are lions, yet Satan has raised us with this poodle dog mentality. Now, we laugh about that story. It's funny. But on June 5th, 2002, we see the devastating effect of what happens when you begin to believe a lie about yourself. See, it was June 5th, 2002, that a beautiful little blonde-headed girl named Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped from her home in Salt Lake City. And for nine months, endured the most horrific nightmare a little girl could ever endure. Being sexually abused, raped, drugged, forced to watch pornography multiple times a day for nine months. When two months into her ordeal, her captors took her to a public library. Sitting in this public library, a police officer walks over to her and ask her, point blank, are you Elizabeth Smart? But because she believed a lie, you see, this man said, if you say anything, we'll kill you, we'll kill your family, we'll kill everybody you know. Because she believed the lie that this man somehow was more powerful than the police officer standing in front of her, she kept quiet. And the nightmare went on for another seven months. All she had to do is say yes, and the nightmare would have been over. But because she believed a lie, because she believed something that wasn't true, the nightmare continued. Do you see how powerful a lie is? To believe something about yourself that isn't true can destroy your marriage, can destroy your family, robs you of your potential. And as I began to pray over you this week, God put it on my heart in such a strong way that there is somebody sitting here today that because of a lie that was spoken over you, either as a child, by a parent, by a teacher, by somebody, a coach, you believe that you've got this, this mental block that you will never earn more than $60,000 a year. And that number was clear on my heart this week. And you think that making $60,000 a year was you finally arrived, that you never even believed you could get there. But, but, but there's something holding you back. And there's something stirring inside of you for more. But because somebody told you you weren't good enough. You'll never amount to anything. There's this mental block. And every time you get close to breaking that barrier, you self-sabotage. 
And I don't know who you are today, but God sent me here to tell you he has more for you. And we've got to break the lie. Maybe you're like me. My dad abandoned me at 12 years old. And the lie came in. Your dad didn't love you. Your dad didn't want you. And that lie began to taint my view of God. God doesn't love you. God, if your own father didn't want you, why would God want you? And as a result of me believing that lie, years of my life wasted in drugs and alcohol, sin, brokenness, all because I believe this lie that if my own father didn't want me, why would God want me? If my own father didn't love me, why would God love me? I mean, think of a little boy whose father said, you'll never amount to anything. You're, you're no good. You'll never do anything great. We know that's a lie. Every young boy is full of potential. Every young boy is full of opportunity to do anything they want to do with their life. But if they believe the lies spoken over to them, what's going to happen? It'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy in their life. They'll never believe. They'll never dream. They'll never achieve. Not because they can't, but because of a lie spoken over their life. Let me give you another all too common and tragic illustration. One of the, the casualties or fallouts or byproducts of the whole sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s, this, this sexual liberation we went through in America, where now we're at a place in America where anything goes sexually. One of the fallouts, when you study the research of this whole sexual revolution, is now one out of four women in America have been sexually assaulted. And it's heartbreaking. And it's tragic. And if you've experienced that, I am so sorry. But the danger is the vulnerable moment of how you interpret the experience. Because this is where the lie comes in. You're no good. You're dirty. You're broken. Look what happened to you. Nobody will ever love you. You'll never have a real marriage. You'll never be able to trust men again. And we know that's not true. We know that healing is available. We see it in Elizabeth Smart today, who's married with children. But what happens if a woman believes that lie, or even a, a young boy believes that lie? Again, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in their life. Do you know what all of this is called? In Christianity, it's called spiritual warfare. This is what true spiritual warfare is. See, there's a lot of these weird hyper-deliverance ministries in America that are you know, making everything science fiction and horror movie and deliverance and demon possession. But this is real spiritual warfare, what I'm talking about today. So get all of that out of your mind for a moment. If you want to understand demonology, I'm describing to you how demons work in our life. And so let's jump into Ephesians chapter 6. I love the book of Ephesians because it's the cliff notes on the Bible. 
You want to you look at the entire Bible in six short chapters, read the book of Ephesians. you got the first three chapters, which is all theology, doctrine. It's incredibly rich. The next three chapters, which is all practical. And it's not a new subject, by the way. Because what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself determines how you live your life. It's what spiritual warfare is rooted in. So in Ephesians 6, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, against the lies that is spoken over your life. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when you are attacked, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, you will stand. So in this passage, we learn three things that we're going to pull apart today because I want to guide you through spiritual warfare today. I want to set you up for success. I want to teach you how to fight the devil in your life, how to tear down the lies that have robbed you of your potential, that have impacted your marriage, that have hurt your family. In this passage, we look at who we fight, we look at what we fight, and we look at how we fight. Number one, who do we fight? Who do we fight? The devil. You have a very real enemy who is trying to destroy everything about you. Again, verse 12, our struggle is not flesh and blood. Now, we do wage war at times against flesh and blood. There are wars in the world and serial killers and rape and genocide. There, there is all of that, and it happens through flesh and blood. But what we have to understand today is the flesh and blood has underlying spiritual forces manipulating it. And if we don't understand what true evil is, then you're going to have a hard time dealing with the evil that's in you, the evil that's in other people, the evil that is in the world around us. So let me say this absolutely as clearly as I can. The devil is real. He is not a figment of our imagination. He's not an idea that was created back in the dark ages. And if you have an issue with the devil being real, the truth is you have an issue with Jesus. Because he spoke about him more than anyone. Luke chapter 10, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. See, the problem in this modern Western world, especially in the educated Northwest that we live in, is we have trouble with actual evil. We have a hard time believing that there is such a thing as evil spirits, demon, an actual devil. We want to believe that there is a reason behind evil that is natural, that is flesh and blood, that we can figure it out. Everything in our world has to have a natural cause and a scientific explanation. So if that's true, then all the crime in the world today, all of the murder, all of the rape, all of the racism, all of the genocide, all of the wars, they all have natural causes. So what we say in our postmodern world is it's bad psychological factors. They weren't raised right. Parents got divorced. They were bullied in school. Or it was bad sociological factors. There's systematic oppression and poverty. Or it's bad biological factors. It's brain chemistry or mental health issues. 
And so the false assumption that we buy into in our world is we believe that all evil has a natural cause. And if it has a natural cause, then we can naturally fix evil in the world because it's either sociological, biological, pathological. Andrew Del Banco, in his book, The Death of Satan, one of the top thinkers of our world today, how Americans have lost a sense of evil. In his book, he writes, a gulf has opened in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. You see, we wanted to intellectually reason evil away, but what we're seeing in the world now is, is too much. We have rejected in the West the idea of a cosmic or supernatural evil. We don't believe in it. We don't even like using the word evil, using the word evil because it implies value judgments and moral absolutes, so we use medical terms like dysfunction and pathology. So we don't say it's sin anymore, we say it's a dysfunction. We get rid of moral terms in favor of medical terms. But he says, as the 20th century has gone on, it's harder and harder to say that Holocaust, genocide, serial killing, ethnic cleansing is simply a result of bad psychological and sociological factors. See, we used to say it was racism and violence. And it comes from people who are uncivilized, uneducated. If you educate them, you can educate the racism out of America. All it takes is education until World War II. When we saw the most cultured, educated, scientific societies in the history of mankind, Germany, commit the atrocities they created. The Bible doesn't wrestle with this issue. The Bible tells us exactly where evil comes from. There is a very real devil, a fallen angel, who took a third of the angels with him that became very real evil beings called demons that we have to contend with. Now, let me say two things about the devil and demons that we get wrong in our approach. The first thing is we underestimate the devil, meaning we just don't believe in him. We don't believe he's that powerful. We don't believe that he exists. But verse 12 says our struggle. There is a struggle, meaning there is a very real enemy that we fight. And he was working hard to destroy you. A lot harder than I think many of us are working to protect ourselves. So we underestimate the devil. The other mistake we make is we overestimate the devil. We either think too little of him or we think too much of him. We see that this is where these hyper weird deliverance ministries come from. They overestimate the devil. They put him everywhere. He's, my engine broke down, must be the devil. No, you just didn't change the oil. That was not a demonic attack. Verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Do not overestimate the devil, God's power is greater. As VeggieTales says, God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV, right? Yeah. Didn't know I could sing, did you? C.S. Lewis in the Screw Tape Letters, he writes this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, human beings, can fall prey to devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, to believe they don't exist. The other is to believe 
and to overbelieve, to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. So whether you underestimate the devil or overestimate the devil, they win. We have to realize we're fighting a very real battle with a very real enemy, but we've got the power to win. We don't have to fear him. So what do we fight? Number two, lies. Lies. His primary weapon is lies, deception. Thoughts that he plants in our mind. Maybe it's from people that spoke something to us and then he takes it and he adds gas to the fire and it flames up in your mind. I'm no good. I'll never amount to anything. I'm broken. I'm dirty. I'm damaged. Lies. Because his end goal in your life is death. He's anti-life, anti-love, anti-peace. He's pro-chaos, pro-anarchy, pro-death, disease, destruction, divorce. He's for it all. The devil is the arch-villain in every movie that wants to burn the world down and sit gleefully as it happens. That's his strategy in your life. So verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. What are those schemes? Lies. The strategies are lies. The word devil there in the Greek language, our New Testament was written in the original Greek language. We have an English translation of it. The word devil there is the Greek word diabolos. And the translation of diabolos is prone to slander, slanderous, or accusing falsely. You see, we're so skeptical. We think unless your head is spinning around and vomit's coming out and you're levitating off the bed that it can't be the devil. The main way the devil attacks us is through lies. Jesus in John 8 says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar and the father of lies. I want you to remember the devil cannot lay a hand on you. The devil can't physically touch you. He cannot lay a hand on you. All the devil can do is lie in your ear. And if you believe his lie, you end up beating yourself up on his behalf. You believe his lie, you hurt yourself. Tim Keller, the famous pastor in New York who just went to be with Jesus, he made the statement, Satan doesn't control us with fang marks on the flesh, but with lies in the heart. You want to know what spiritual warfare really is? Forget about that demon possession stuff. Yes, it does happen. I've been in the third world where, where there are places where this stuff happens. But by and large, he's got something so much more effective and so much more powerful for us, and it's called lies. He gets you to believe a lie about yourself. He gets you to believe a lie about God. He gets you to believe a lie about your spouse, about your children, about your family. And you buy into that lie. And it takes you down this, this path of self-talk that becomes destructive. And it's not that he audibly speaks to you. He stimulates thoughts in your brain. He plants ideas in your heart that become self-talk. I mean, think about it. None of us sin out of duty or responsibility, do we? Like, it's not our plan to wake up and sin every day. Like, we don't schedule it in our calendar. Like... Tuesday night, 7 p.m., the alarm just went off, time to look at porn. 
because I've got a goal in life. In order for me to work towards my long-term goal of being someone who absolutely ruins my marriage, has no desire for a real female body, chemically reprograms and rewires the neural pathways of my brain so badly that I will die lonely and miserable with no one around, addicted to a screen of fake reality. In order for me to accomplish that goal, I need to discipline myself to look at porn on a regular basis. Now we laugh. But what we're doing is believing a lie. My wife's not taking care of me. I deserve this. I work hard. I provide for my family. It'll make me happy. It'll satisfy me. We believe a lie. Every negative behavior you struggle with, every addiction, every bad habit is rooted in a lie. It's not the behavior that's the issue. It's what you believe that's the issue. Somewhere in your pathway, a lie got lodged. And you believe, I need this. It'll make me happy. It'll, whatever the lie is, it got lodged. So how do we fight the devil? Number three, we've got to replace the lies with truth. This is the definition of spiritual warfare. This is biblical spiritual warfare. Warfare. This is the spiritual warfare Jesus used when he fought the devil in the wilderness. So let me teach you how to win the fight today. Let me show you how you can become a champion of spiritual warfare, and you may have only been a believer for two days. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. You don't need a degree to do this. All you have to do is identify the lies. And allow God to replace it with truth. John chapter 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews that believed him, Jesus said, look at this. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now, how many of you are engineers here today? Let's reverse engineer this passage. If Jesus says the truth will set you free, then he's simultaneously saying that it's the lies that put us in bondage. If the truth equals freedom, then lies equal bondage. The bondage that you're dealing with, the addiction, the habit, the negative behaviors, the outbursts of anger, the jealousy, the anxiety, the insecurity, all of it is rooted in a lie that you have believed. I mean, have you ever had a thought? Think about this. Have you ever had a thought And you thought to yourself, this is way more than just a thought. This this thought feels like it has a will to it. Like there's a power in this thought. It wants to be thought. It's like gravity. You can't help but think it, to feel it. And the will of it was malignant and evil. And it was driving you to anger, rage, insecurity, loneliness, depression, despair, lust. Like there was a thought and you felt it like gravity inside of you. It was heavy. What if that was more than just a thought? What if there was a dark spiritual energy, a force behind that thought? Stimulating your brain. This is how Satan works. It is a demonic assault against your mind. And this is how he attacks so let me, let me give you two things. First, identify the specific lies the devil uses on you. Identify the specific lies. The devil knows how to play you like a banjo. He knows where your weak spots are. He knows exactly what to tempt you with. 
Like, I don't struggle with robbing banks. When I go to Wells Fargo to withdraw money, I don't break out into a cold sweat having to use self-control to keep myself from trying to rob the place because it's like, that is not a temptation in my life. Not once have I ever felt the urge to rob a bank. Now, it may be your struggle, but it's not mine. But can I tell you, the devil knows exactly how to play me like a banjo. He knows exactly where my weak spots are. He knows exactly the areas of my life that I'm prone to struggle with. How does he do it? He presents the bait and he hides the hook. He gets you to look at the short-term pleasure and then he hides the long-term misery or consequence. He gets you to rationalize sin as a virtue. I'm not greedy, I'm just thrifty. I'm not nosy, I'm just concerned. I'm not an alcoholic, I'm just fun to be with. He gets you to overstress the mercy of God. Do it, God will forgive you. There's grace. He makes you bitter over suffering. You've been hurt. You've gone through tragedy. You start saying things like, well, I deserve it. Nobody knows how hard I work. Nobody knows what I've been through. Nobody knows how much I've sacrificed. He gets you to compare one area of your life to another area. Well, I'm really good with for God over here, so it's okay if I do this over here. He causes you to obsess over past sins that have caused damage that can't be undone. I've blown it. I've already made a mistake. There's nothing I can do now. He gets you to think that the trouble you're going through right now must be punishment from God. This means God's mad at me. Don't ever confuse the consequences of sin with the judgment of God. There are natural consequences that we go through for the mistakes and the choices we make, but that is not the judgment of God. There is no judgment of God left for you. All of the judgment of God fell on Jesus Christ at the cross. There is nothing available for you. Jesus took it all. The only thing God has for you is mercy and grace and forgiveness. We identify the light. Here's the thing about the devil. The devil cannot make a good person bad. The devil makes a flawed person worse. The devil knows how to exploit your weakness, how to throw gas on the fire. And it's all through lies. Study your self-talk. Get a journal and begin to study your self-talk. What is the devil? What, what, what are the lies that I'm believing? What are the areas of, of insecurity, of unworthiness? What are the words that I, that, that I hear from my childhood? They come back to my mind and they haunt me. Write them down. Begin to identify the lies the devil uses against you. And then finally, fight, fight, fight. How do we fight? Put on the full armor of God. It's the armor that enables you to fight. Let me read the armor. To, I'm not going to dive deep into this. Pastor Ken will get there when he finally gets to chapter 6, maybe next year sometime. <laughs> but it's good. You'll, you'll remember it all over. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows. Those are the lies, the flaming lies of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Have you ever wondered when you read this, how do I put this on since the Bible says this is who a Christian is? 
Like, how do I put on the helmet of salvation when I'm already saved? How do I put on the breastplate of righteousness when I'm already righteous? Have you ever thought about that? Do you know what it means to put it on? The key is the shield of faith. You have to have the faith to believe that this is who you are, that every one of these things are true about who you are as a believer. That's why the belt of truth, it's a belt. The belt of truth holds it all together. The bell holds everything in place. It's the belt of truth. This is true about who you are. And when you have the shield of faith, when you believe that you are saved, that you are righteous, that this is true about who you are as a believer, it will extinguish the lies that are shot at you. When you hold up the shield of faith to believe the truth that I am loved, I am worthy. I am forgiven of my past, and not just forgiven, I'm cleansed of my past. God sees me as perfect and righteous. I'm holy in the sight of God. I'm God's beloved. The Father is for me. The Holy Spirit is inside of me. Greater is in me than he that is in the world. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I am more than a conqueror. When you have that shield of faith, do you really think those lies are going to work against you? When you believe you're forgiven, do you really believe you're going to struggle with insecurity? It's the shield of faith. But there's an offensive weapon that we've got to begin to use if the shield of faith is truly going to activate. You see, the shield and the sword go together. So it says here, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, in the Greek language, that word word is the Greek word rhema, which means this is not the Bible that sits on your coffee table at home. The word of God that it's talking about here is not the Bible that sits on your coffee table at home. It's the Bible that is on your tongue that is heard out loud. You see, the sword is only activated when you speak the word. Satan came to Jesus with a lie, if you are the Son of God. And what did Jesus say? It is written. Jesus pulled out the sword and he fought the devil back. He pulled out the sword and he fought the devil back. Our problem is we don't pull out the sword. We think the Bible that we have in our mind or the Bible that's sitting on our table or the Bible that we read, none of that is the sword. It's the sword when you begin to speak it out loud. I am more than a conqueror. I am loved. I am forgiven. Greater is in me than he that is in the world. When it comes out loud on my mouth, it is a sword in my hand. And that sword strengthens my shield. Why? Because Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing. The shield of faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God wants to build up your faith. He just needs to borrow your tongue to do it. Your ears need to hear your tongue speak God's word every single day. Out loud. Because that's where faith comes from. And if you want to fight these lies, you're going to need a shield of faith because he's not going to stop. So you're going to have to pull out your sword and declare God's word over your life so that your shield can hold steady against all the lies that are coming against your mind. I've got 23 scriptures on a piece of paper in my office and every single morning in my devotions are the scriptures for this season of my life and I change them out from season to season. Every single morning I hold up that paper as I'm reading my Bible 
And I say all 23 of those verses out loud. Because I know where Satan is attacking me. I know my weak spots. I know where he's going to get me. And so out loud, I am hearing the word of God, building up my faith to withstand every fiery dart that comes my way. I tell you, after 23 years of struggling with sex addiction and pornography, all rooted in the lie that God didn't love me, that God couldn't forgive me. You see, when you believe you're worthless, you treat yourself as worthless. When I began to believe the truth and declare the truth that I am righteous and I am forgiven and I am worthy and I am accepted, all of a sudden, those lies lost their power in my life. And it wasn't that I woke up with the willpower not to do it anymore. It was my appetite began to change. See, the goal of Christianity is not to give you the strength to say no to pornography or whatever sin you struggle with. The goal of Christianity is to change your appetite, to change your desire where you're not hungry for that anymore. That's what the armor does. When you begin to declare God's truth over your life, that shield of faith strengthens and every lie loses its power. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment?